Hello. Did you find everything you were looking for? I did, thank you. That's a nice brand. I needed an organizer. Well, I hope it works out for you. Um, ma'am, this is a PDA. Yes. Well, just going out on a limb here, you do realize if you have an organizer, you don't need a PDA. Or the other way around. They both do the same thing. Yes, I, I know that. So, do you want the organizer or the PDA? I have to choose? What kind of store is this? Uh, no, no, you can buy both. I just want you to know they do the same thing. I know that. I like having an organizer, but my neighbor has a PDA. So I'm going to keep using my organizer, and I'm going to let her think I've joined the technological revolution. That is the latest brand, isn't it? I think so, but... Oh, please, just ring it up. I'm in a hurry. I have places to go today, and you are slowing me down. Two cell phones, ma'am? Oh, my gosh, you're not going to give me a hard time about that, too, are you? Don't tell me. Your neighbor has this one, but you like this one. No. My neighbor has this one. My sister has this one. I have this one. I like this phone best, but I have to have both those two. Why do you need three phones? This isn't any of your business. Okay, if you must know, they won't think anything of me if I don't have a phone that's equal to or better than theirs. But... Please, just hurry up and ring it up. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, now what? Three iPods? But they're all... Man, these are exactly alike. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. This one's silver, this one's pink, and this one's white. My neighbor has the silver one, my sister has a pink iPod, and my landlord has a white iPod. And you have to have iPods just like they do. Do you even like iPods? Uh, well, actually, I hate iPods. I'm a PC. Then why? This is not any of your business. How I spend my money is my business. Just ring them up. Manutola comes to $1,563.97. Oh, is that all? Oh, wrong billfold. Just a moment, please. Okay. All right, yes, I think that'll do. Thank you. Um, ma'am, you've been denied. What? It denied you. You must be over your spending limit. Well, that's impossible. Well, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, Try that one. Denied. Ah! That one. Denied. Oh, try that one. Ma'am, this is Dylan's card. <laughs> it is? Yes, it is, ma'am. Ah! What am I going to do? I need all those things, and I don't have any more what? credit cards. Really, none of my business. Ah, oh, well.
I never. I'm not shopping here again. Hi, sis. Oh, hi, sis. How are you? I'm doing great. I was here doing a little bit of shopping. Oh. Actually, I was just getting ready to make a call. Oh, my new phone. Is that an iPhone? Hey! Forget all those. I want one of these. And how do you plan on paying for this? Well, I. phone. <laughs> Thanks. I borrowed it. I told the Saturday night crowd, but I love that coming on. Isn't that great? I think, uh, and I, I told this last night as well, but uh, I'm so impressed with New Spring every time I'm here. It is so, it's so incredible uh, how you guys are pursuing God with all your talents. I think that New Spring Church is probably the most creative church in the United States of America. You guys are really doing something. That's incredible. Some of you might not know me. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm Mark's oldest son. And uh, he couldn't be here today. He's actually preaching at a, a revival this morning. And he called me a while ago um, and he said, Jonathan, I'm going to be doing this series on games that people play. And I'm going to be gone a week. Could you come and, and fill in for me on that week? And I said, sure. And uh, he kind of gave me the rundown. said, well, this series is going to be about things that people you know, put a lot of time and energy and effort into that ends up not doing anything for him in the end. You know, kind of like the, you know, he, he reminded me of the example of Monopoly. You know, you can play with all the money, but at the end of the day, you got to put everything back in the box and, and put it up. And uh, last week, he did talk about Monopoly, and I got to watch through the wonder of the internet, and it was awesome, uh, the truth about the way that we like to live life insulated, that we don't, we want, we want to be able to roll the dice, and it doesn't matter what, what happens when we roll the dice, because we're insulated against risk. Um, and when he talked to me about it, he said, so you be thinking about uh, games uh, people play. He said, especially, he said, think about things in your life that you've gone through, games that you've played, and, and uh, he said, just, just throw, toss out some ideas at me. And I begin to think about, what have I done that I've put a lot of effort into, a lot of time into, a lot of my emotions into that didn't net me anything? And what I thought was interesting is I, I was thinking about that. The whole idea of a name of a game that I've played before kept coming to mind. Um, you ever play a game called Trivial Pursuit? Yeah. Well, that name kept sticking with me. You know why? Because a lot of the things that I have invested a lot of me in were very trivial. A lot of the things I pursued with all my, with all my strength, everything I had I put into it was very peripheral. It, was really, it really didn't matter a whole lot. I should have known going into the front end that I wasn't going to get anything out of it because it was such a small thing in the first place. But I got locked into it. And I don't know if you can identify with this, but typically the things that I get locked into are things I think I can't have. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you couldn't have something, 
Um, but that was what you got locked into because you thought, well, some way I've got to find a way to get this. Yeah, I was thinking about some personal stories in my life that, that, um, uh, where I'd gone through this whole pattern of a trivial pursuit, pursuing something that was re- really peripheral. And when I was a kid, um, we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. So when we took vacations, um, usually it was just going to see family in Texas, uh, which we did quite a bit. Um, but one year, my dad got invited to speak in a church that was very close to Disney World in Florida. So we planned this kind of um, uh, quasi-vacation. We went down for, for him to speak, but then on the back half of it, we were going to spend a few days at Disney World. That was a big deal for us because we hadn't done any you know, theme park vacations or anything, so we were really excited. We spent a lot of time planning and getting ready for it. And uh, as the time got closer, um, mom and dad tried to, tried to tell us, now we're not going to be spending a lot of money at Disney World. It's a big enough thing we can just go. Um, so they tried to prep us. When we got there, um, they unleashed a little extra bit of information. They said, now look, here's the deal. It's big enough that we're here, but we want to do a little something special for you, and we want you to be able to have something to remember this trip by. So we're going to give you some, a little bit of money you can spend on a souvenir sometime while you're here. I don't remember what it was. It was like 10 or $15, I guess. Um, they, they, they tell this to Jonathan, the guy who obsesses about things, right as we're pulling into the parking lot. So let me ask you something. What do you think Jonathan's thinking as we're walking in those gates at Disney World? What can I get at Disney World for 10 or $15? You, now, you do know that when you go to Disney World, they have things you can spend money on, right? It's, it's everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there's a store or a restaurant or something. It, it's one of those things you wonder sometimes you go in those restaurants, do they know how much food costs everywhere else in the world? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so we're going around looking at things. It wasn't 10 minutes we were there, and they had these little rolling souvenir carts. And so, of course, mom and dad are thinking, which way is Epcot? And I, I run right to this souvenir cart start looking around. I, I don't know if you remember this, but in the uh, late 80s especially, the Disney Channel was airing, re-airing a bunch of these Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier uh, shows. And uh, don't ask me why I watched them. The, you know how Davy Crockett had kind of the goofy looking cap and always had this long black powder rifle that he, that he had with him the whole time? Well, they had the, the full outfit, the Davy Crockett cap and the, and the long powder rifle and everything. And I had to have one of those powder rifles. I mean, it's a little, little toy, a little worthless toy, but I had to have it. And my, my mom and dad said this. They said, number one, it's out of your budget. Number two, we just got here. We've been here 10 minutes. The other thing I said is, do you really want to carry that thing all around Disney World and walk around with a little gun all around Disney World? I said, yes, I do. I really do. I was stuck on that rifle. You know, we went to Epcot. We went to the Magic Kingdom. We went all kinds of of interesting places. Now, keep in mind, I hadn't been to anything like this before in my whole life. This was a, a great experience, something that I should have taken something away from. Do you know what that experience centered around? Something I couldn't have. Something I couldn't have. And I look back on that experience, I'm 27 now, and I think to myself, you know, that was a unique opportunity for me to experience something. And when I look back on it, do you know what strikes me the hardest is what I missed there. Because, you know, I remember a little bit of Epcot, and I remember the people at the Magic Kingdom, I remember the rides at the Magic Kingdom. But mostly what I remember is me nagging my parents the whole time I was there, you know, because I couldn't have something that I wanted. And me just being, it spoiled everything about the experience for me. I wonder, do you, have you ever met somebody in life 
that has lots of great things to experience. You look at their life and you think, man, they should be really, really happy with what they get to experience in life. You know, they got a nice house, awesome cars, great job. You know, they've got, they've got lots of things, tons of things. And you think they ought to enjoy the experience of life. But something is spoiling it for them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some, one, something they can't have. Something they can't have is spoiling that whole experience for them. A trivial pursuit is not the way God designed us to live, but unfortunately, even a lot of Christ followers are having the experience of their lives spoiled by something that they can't have. This morning, we're going to talk about a guy in the Bible named Ahab. Now, he's back in the Old Testament. Um, and let me just tell you a little bit about Ahab. Ahab is king, and it is good to be king. Uh, because he's king, Ahab is uniquely suited to pursue anything in life that would make him happy. So he has the nice house. He has the nice cars. We know that he was very wealthy. We know that he had just about anything that he wanted. And he's somebody that is heftily pursuing a complete life. You know, there's people in this world that are pursuing a complete life because they feel inside that they're missing something. That's what's so ironic about going through an obsessive experience in life where you get so tied into something that you, it, expoils, it spoils the experience of life is that a lot of times the reason that we get into that experience that causes us to miss everything is because deep down inside when we start that whole journey, we do it because we feel like we're missing something. We feel incomplete. Ahab was uniquely suited to pursue completeness. He had basically anything at his disposal that he wanted. I I brought something with me uh, this morning. And I want to just say, you know, no matter how big your house is, no matter how big your cars are, Ahab was king, but even though he was king, pursuing completeness will cost you something. I I, I brought something with me this morning. Uh, I asked my wife before I came, uh, I said, sweetie, I I need to take my checkbook with me. My checkbook. I need to take my checkbook um, to Wichita because I'm going to talk a little bit about checkbooks when I I speak. And she kind of chuckled at me and she said, you mean your checkbook cover? (laughs) She said, sweetie, there's no checks in there. And uh, she reminded me that since we've been married, I've not written a check. So... um, (laughs) She said, sweetie, every time we've moved, I've gotten you new checks, and I've put them in your checkbook. She said, the last couple times we moved, I just figured, what's the, what's the point, you know? So I said, no problem, sweetie. I'll just go in the drawer. I'll, I'll get, you know, some checks out of the box. And, and um, so I, I, I grab a, a book of checks and put it in there. She said, oh, honey. She said, those are carbons. Those are checks that have already been written. You're going to need some blank checks. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm necessarily suited to be lecturing on check checkbooks this morning, but as best I understand it, this book represents an account that I have. <laughs> That's what my wife tells me. <clears throat> and there's money in this account, some, sometimes of the month more than others. Uh, and when I want to make an investment in something, when I want to purchase something, I write, write a check, and it debits my account. And a lot like the idea of a checking account, I like to think of a life account. Because in your life, you have lots of things that you can choose to invest with. You've got your time, you've got your emotions, um, you've got your, your love, uh, anything, even your finances. Anything that you can use to invest in something. 
and we get used to writing checks um, because uh, we're used to investing in things that are important to us. The Bible tells us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So we invest in whatever's most important to us. Now, Ahab is a guy who's used to writing a lot of checks. Why? Because he has a really big life account. He's a king. He's got lots of things at his disposal, and he's used to writing checks. What do we know about Ahab? Well, one thing we know about Ahab is he's kind of a spineless, gutless, jellyfish kind of guy. Jonathan, you're being really nice to him. I know, I know. Um, he's, a, he's a guy who does not like confrontation. And so anytime he's in a situation where uh, he has to deal with confrontation, he sends somebody else in. I mean, later on in the Bible, he's getting ready to go into battle, and he has somebody else dress up like him so he doesn't get shot. <laughs> this guy's not like a, a, he's not a toe-to-toe confrontation kind of guy. So in the Bible, we see that anytime he's got to deal with confrontation, he, uh, he sends somebody else in. So for him, it was time to make an investment. So he makes an investment in a power wife. <laughs> you, know, you know power tie? Well, he invested in a power wife. Because this lady that he married, the Bible tells us she was one of the wickedest women that ever lived. Uh, she was not afraid to go toe-to-toe with anybody. She wasn't afraid of confrontation. So she, she married, he, he married this lady and figured, you know, I made an investment, and uh, now I don't have to worry about this confrontation thing. And we also know that Ahab was a guy with no spiritual bearings. He didn't know what to believe in. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but Ahab was just somebody who didn't know, didn't know what to believe in. So Jezebel, this, this woman that he married, uh, by the way, a lot of us don't name our daughters Jezebel. There's a reason for that. She was a mean lady. <laughs> uh, Jezebel did not serve God. What Jezebel did, she served the ungod. Everything that represented the opposite of the true God that you and I serve that was what she worshipped. That was what she spent her life trying to, trying to do. So Ahab, he's got this kind of restless thing going on with true God because he keeps getting messages from the preacher about what God is saying. But he's investing out of his life account, massively, massively investing in the un-God and all of the gods that his wife is serving. Even though Ahab's writing all these checks from his life account, Ahab is living a very stressed out life. Do you know somebody like that? They got lots in their life account to spend. They write lots of checks. They invest in lots of things. Trying to be complete, trying to be whole. They think something's missing. But they're stressed out constantly. Living a life of stress. I mean, it wasn't very long ago that uh, Ahab got into some deep Dutch with another king. The other king was a lot, lot bigger dude than he was, had a lot more um, soldiers, bigger army. And this guy basically told Ahab he was going to take him for all he was worth. And God actually gave Ahab victory over that king in a really weird story. But Ahab was so spineless and stupid that he let the king live that was threatening his life. Now, what I'm trying to tell you here is this caused a big, big rift between him and God. God was very angry. Ahab lived a life where all he did was invest in things that were opposite of God. And even when God tried to help him, he slapped God in the face. I don't know if that resonates at all, but there are people in life that invest in nothing that has to do with God. They invest completely on the other end of the page. And even when God tries to help that person, they reject his help. That was where Ahab was. And you know, even though Ahab is used to writing a lot of checks, he's used to getting no return on his investment. You know, that's what's stressful, is that, um, I don't know if I have any investors in the room, I'm not an investor, but 
I know uh, from being friends with some that one of the most stressful things in life is to try to make the very best investments that you can and see no return coming back on your investments. And that is exactly where Ahab is. You know, for better or for worse, he's making the investments he thinks that he should make. And at the end of the day, he's not seeing any return on his investments. But what do we do when we don't see any return on our investments? We say, well, that's life. You know, I invested some time. I invested some money. I invested some finances. I didn't get any return. Well, that's life. And that's what Ahab was used to. You know, for a lot of people, their life account resembles an overdrawn checking account. There's a lot more checks being written than there's capital coming in. And they're just trying to live life one step ahead of the notices. If I can just stay one step ahead. That's what Ahab was doing. Ahab was trying to stay one step ahead. Remember how I told you that he and God have this big rift going. By the way, how many know that if you've got a big rift with God, you've got big problems? This is a man with big problems. But you know what happens when you deal with obsession? And I'm talking to me more than anybody else this morning. When you deal with obsession, you push aside the big things and you focus in on something very little. And that's exactly what happened to Ahab. Let's look in our story. We're in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1-4 through 4 to start with. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I'll give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I'll pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home. Now, now watch this. Ahab went home angry and sullen. That, that word sullen is pouting. He went home pouting, angry and pouting. Because of Naboth's answer, the king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. Now, something you need to know about the story before we get any farther. There's, there's two things that are kind of important here. Number one, Naboth could not legally sell King Ahab his vineyard. Um, Ahab knew it was an uphill climb even going and asking for it. Uh, but according to the law, uh, this was Naboth's inheritance. He inherited it from his fathers, and he was to give that vineyard to his kids. That was the law. And Ahab had come in, and he knew the law, and he said, Hey, look, let's just do this deal under the table. You know, I'll either give you a better vineyard, I'll pay you for it. Uh, but Ahab knew this was against the law. Number two, this was not even Ahab's main palace. You know how some people have a summer place and a winter place? This was Ahab's winter palace. Now, I want you to just think for a second about the fact that King Ahab has land holdings like you would not believe. He's got places to live like you would not believe. He's got anything he basically wants. And what he is stuck on is a vegetable garden, an herb garden for the kitchen for his winter palace. This is a guy who's got a rift between him and God. This is a guy who has big problems. What is he focused on? A little herb garden. It's more convenient. So what, what happens is Ahab comes to Naboth. And he says, listen, I want your vineyard. I'll either give you a better vineyard or you know what? Better yet, let me just write you a check. 
Who do I make the checkout to? You know the only thing more embarrassing in life than having a check bounce? Uh, We already saw this in the drama a little bit ago, but when I was not married and still living here in Wichita, I went to Dillon's out here off uh, out here in Andover, and uh, had to make a quick grocery trip. Didn't have time to grab a whole lot when I was on my way out the door. I grabbed my checkbook and my and my driver's license. Grabbed a few groceries. Grabbed them in a in a grocery cart. Go up to the lane. Start checking out. Lady starts scanning my groceries, and uh, I write her a check. And you know what came up on that wonderful cash register? <laughs> Two words: check rejected. I told that lady, I said, ma'am, I know I have money in my checking account. Could you please run that check again? And uh, she ran the check again. It came back up. Check rejected. And she, that, that sweet little lady at that cash register tried to start explaining to me why my check might be rejected. And I said, ma'am, I know I have money in my account. Run the check again. So she runs it again, says, check rejected. She said, sir, I'm going to have to give you one of these. She hands me this card. And I said, ma'am, what is this? She said, well, this is a card that explains all the different reasons why a check could get rejected. I said, well, why aren't you just telling me? She said, because all these other people in line don't need to know why your check's being rejected. I said, let them hear. <laughs> I said, I want them to know. I wanted to just go up and down that line with my check register and prove to those people that I did indeed have money in my account. It was very embarrassing. I think the most embarrassing thing when it comes to checks is not even really having a check bounce. I think the most embarrassing thing when it comes to checks is having a check rejected. So uh, (laughs) Jonathan has to leave the line, take my grocery cart, and go put those groceries back up on the shelf. You know, the whole time I was doing that, I was getting more and more embarrassed. By the time I walked out of that Dylan store, I was muttering underneath my breath some words of enrichment and encouragement for this sweet lady... (laughs) Who wouldn't take my check? You know what happened here with Ahab and Naboth is, Ahab goes to Naboth and says, let me just write you a check. And you know what Naboth says? Check rejected. I was walking out of that grocery store and I was so upset. I asked myself, why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? And you know what what really got me was, it wasn't so much that I was angry, is that my pride was hurt. My pride was hurt. That's what happened to Ahab. And with every step that Ahab took away from that vineyard, that vineyard became more and more important. Because rejection inflates our desire for things. And when we get into that pattern, it becomes a trivial pursuit. It becomes something that started off as just a peripheral issue. Something that's trivial. Something that wasn't... I mean, this was an herb garden. Let's face it. This was trivial. But now it was a pursuit. It was something to chase down and get. Ahab goes home. And as we read, he goes home. He goes to his bedroom. He slams the door shut. I mean, this is the way a three-year-old acts, folks. He slams the door shut, runs, hops on his bed buries his face in his pillow, and they come and ask him, hey, you ready to eat? And he says, I'm not eating. Not coming out. Not eating. Not interested. Let me tell you, there's a difference between a desire and an obsession. A desire is something you control. You set the boundaries for a desire. An obsession is something that controls you. 
and it will take over all the boundaries. Trivial pursuit becomes something that controls your life. Here's Ahab, a guy with big problems. He's laying in his bed, face down in his pillow, won't eat. Why? Because he's being controlled by something. And he's being controlled by something trivial. I know if you've experienced this, but I, I have. You know, all types of things in life can, can, can tend to, to deal you this blow of rejection. You ask a girl out on a date. You make a play for a promotion. You, I mean, even things as small as you go make an offer on a car. You get rejected, and your pride is hurt, and it becomes a pursuit. And all of a sudden, you come home, guys, and that car has control of you. You know, if, if, you know, for a student, they can sit across from a room from another student that they asked out the week before and got rejected, and that whole room can revolve around that one person. More sadly than that, for a guy who had another lady on the periphery of his vision at work, and he experiences slight rejection from that person, that person can become the pursuit of his life, and you know what? It'll take control. It'll take control. So, Ahab knows he's not man enough to take care of this situation. So what does he do? He lets his wife take care of it. I, wanna, I want to uh, read this for you in verse 5. And keep in mind, what, what does rejection make you want to do? Rejection makes you want to retaliate. Rejection always makes you want to retaliate. So this is what happens. Jezebel comes to him, verse 5. What's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not, Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something, and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters. Now listen to this. Please follow this. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letter, she commanded, Call the citizens together for fasting and prayer. Give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat two scoundrels. The original word in the text there actually just means worthless people. She basically said, Then seat two worthless people across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Jezebel's designing a lie that will take somebody's life. Look what Jezebel does. His pride's been hurt. She appeals to his sense of pride. Are you the king or not? Let me tell you what, in life, if your pride is hurt, you're feeling rejected, there'll always be somebody around to tell you that you're being taken advantage of. How many know that any time you're feeling rejected by your spouse at work, you could find somebody at work who could tell you it's not fair? It's true, and that's exactly what Jezebel does. But I want you to notice something. You say, Jonathan... What is the important thing about trivial pursuit? Why, why should I not allow this to happen in my life? There's a few reasons. Number one, I want you to notice what she did. Did you notice that she took Ahab's signature and she took Ahab's seal? Now, I have to guard this thing right here. Because if somebody were to take my, my real checkbook, my personal checkbook, somebody could steal my identity. Your life, your life account is a lot like that. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, where, you, where are the things that you value, that's where your identity is. That's where your heart is also. Please listen. If you hand over your life account to somebody, they get your identity. 
If you want something so badly, you sign over your whole life account. They get your identity. Why? Because who you are and what you value cannot be separated. So why should I not want to get trapped up in a, in a pursuit of something that's trivial? Let me ask you. Do you want your whole life to be about something trivial? Because who you are and what you value cannot be separated. His identity got stolen. Jezebel was the original identity thief. She took his signature, she took his seal, and she did the dirty work for him. And they had Naboth killed. I don't want to, you know, give you gory details and make, make you feel like it's, a, you know, uh, too graphic. But the, the truth is, that's exactly what happened. They, they accused him of cursing God and the king, even though they didn't. They dragged him outside the city because they didn't want him stinking up the inside of the city. And they threw big rocks at Naboth until he died. Why? Because he was blocking Ahab's goal. He rejected, Ahab, or he, he rejected Naboth's check. So once they kill Naboth, Jezebel fires off a text message to uh, uh, Ahab and says, guess what? Naboth is dead. Now you go get your vineyard. Ahab goes down there. He claims that vineyard. He says, this guy cursed me. I ought to have his land. Wasn't true. But you know what's way more important about that whole interaction of Ahab going down there to claim that land? He's saying something emotionally. What is he saying? He's saying, there, I proved it. Nobody rejects my checks. It may have been a trivial pursuit. It may have been something that was peripheral. But you know what? I got there and I proved that nobody rejects my checks. That, is that why we deal with trivial pursuit in life? Because at the end of the day, we just want to be able to say, my money's good everywhere. Nobody rejects my checks. The idea of a trivial pursuit being something that controls you instead of you having control is the primary thing I want to ask you this morning. We know several things about trivial pursuits. We know that a trivial pursuit is temporary because the Bible says that this world is a temporary place. If we invest in something temporary, we won't get a return. It's temporary. It's going away. So we know that what we value and who we are is inseparably linked. We know that it's temporary. If you make an investment here, you're not going to get a return. It's temporary. But you know what the biggest thing is? Each of us, as we walk out of this building this morning, has to ask ourselves a question. Do I really want to be controlled by something trivial? Do I really want to live my life with my identity and how my life is controlled by something that really doesn't matter anyway? Look for me, if you would, quickly in Colossians 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights. Now that word set is a control word. You still have control. Set your sights. That word can also mean, uh, those words can also mean to, to set your love, set your affections, fall in love with. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Why? Because heaven's not temporary. Heaven is real. Heaven is the place that you can invest your life account. And let me ask you this question. How wonderful would it be to be controlled by this? 
Let me, let me read this for you again. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. If you've got to pick something to be controlled by, why not be controlled by Christ? Why not be controlled by the reality of heaven in your life? Somebody might even be sitting here today, and you might be saying, Jonathan, I'm, I'm trying to take in what you're saying, but I, I'm kind of, I don't have a personal relationship with Christ, and so uh, the reality of heaven doesn't mean much to me. Let, let me tell you, friend, that the reality of heaven is why we are all here today. The fact that part of me that you see this morning, you see the, you see the physical part of me, that's not the important part of me. The important part of me is inside and it's my soul, it's my, it's my being I, that loves and believes and hopes. And the, the, the part of me that thinks, that part of me will, will live forever. And the Bible says it lives forever in one of two places, in hell or in heaven. Friend, if you feel like you're living with an overdrawn checking account this morning, let me tell you, your life could change because God did not intend for you to live with an overdrawn checking account. God designed you to live with a savings account with interest. God is a completer. You feel like you're missing something this morning? God is a completer. So this morning, if what you're missing is Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, the greatest thing in life is to be able to hand over that part of you which is eternal to Jesus Christ and say, I want to live in the reality of heaven. I want to focus on the reality of heaven, and I don't want to be controlled by pursuits that are trivial. God, I want to be controlled by what really matters. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? If what I just said is really striking a chord with you this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, Jonathan, I, I don't have a relationship with God and I do feel right now like my life is just controlled by the trivial. I, I feel like I'm running on empty all the time and I, I don't understand what it is, but I know that here when I get around here that, that people are pursuing something that's real. That's why I'm here this morning. Let me tell you, my friend, this is the morning your journey could start pursuing something that is real and not trivial. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, if you would like to set your mind on the realities of heaven, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if you mean it from your heart, God will save you. I'm going to pray it in snippets, and you can pray it with me. There's nothing magical, but here are the words. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I understand that there's no way that I can save myself. I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you live today. I trust you as the only way to heaven. I pray that you would come into my life, that you would forgive my sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Now look this way. If you prayed that prayer this morning, God did save you, and you started on the greatest journey in your life. At, uh, we would like to put some materials in your hand if you did accept Christ this morning that will help you in your journey um, uh, along your, this great journey of life and uh, pursuing a life in Christ. If you'd like to get those materials, if you just fill out on your worship folio where it says, I prayed this morning to receive Christ, you can send that in to us and we'll send you those DVDs and the little packet of information. Uh, if you want to just get it today, no problem. Head out those, those main doors as soon as the service is over. And at guest services and at the um, New Spring store, you can go ahead and just pick that up now. Just bring them the little card that says, I received Christ this morning.